Why do you want to fight? This is the fight game with Demond Cotton. Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of the fight game. On 1230 The Game, I am your host, Damon Cotton, and boy, I say it each and every week, but there is so much to talk about in the world of combat sports, and we've got a great show for you today. Let me just break down the lineup. I mean, only two guests, but two great guests. In about 15 minutes, joining us around 1215, we're going to have the UFC Bantamweight champion of the world, yes, Algermain Sterling, the funk master, will be joining us here on the fight game. And then around 1230, right after Aljo, right after the funk master, we've got BC, Brian Campbell from CBS Sports and Showtime Boxing. And he's going to be breaking down, hey, Showtime Boxing, Jake Paul. Jake Paul is fighting, and this might be his biggest fight today against Anderson the Spider Silva. And that's going to be a great fight to see just because of the hype. Hey, man. Love him or hate him, you want to see him lose, you want to see him win. Jake Paul is an enigma. Those Paul brothers, hey, Logan Paul next week going to be in Saudi Arabia at WWE Crown Jewel against Roman Reigns. Now, you may just say, hey, that's wrestling. Who cares? It's not a real sport. But for a guy who has zero experience, for the WWE to say, hey, we're going to put you in a match with our biggest champion in a decade, just about, we're going to put you in a match against him. That shows you, man, that these Paul brothers, whatever they are doing, it draws. People want to see these guys. Maybe it's just to see them lose, but hey, you've got that crossover appeal from YouTube. All of the endeavors that they had, hey, even being Disney actors before, that hey, man, these guys have made it. They found their niche. I don't know how long this is going to be able to continue to survive, but hey, man, for right now, these guys are just about on top of wrestling and boxing in the combat sports world. But let's talk about UFC 280. Let's talk about UFC's biggest pay-per-view of the year held in Abu Dhabi. And man, I was feeling pretty good about this card because I made some picks on this card and I was right. I couldn't miss. I really felt like I knew exactly how all of these fights were going to play out. Bilal Muhammad, a great fight. Man, Bilal is doing things that, hey, man, he's, he should be a number one contender. But then you've got that log jam at the welterweight division with Kamaru Usman losing to Leon Edwards. He's got to be a rematch. But if I'm Bilal Muhammad, I am just sitting back and I'm waiting. He should be a number one contender in the UFC welterweight division. Banal Dariush took on Matisse Gamrut, and it was a good fight. I mean... Banal got the victory. Another guy that I picked to win was feeling good about that fight. The lightweight in the lightweight division. So you think about that fight. Hey, what's going to be next for Benil, for Benil Dariush, where he's got to take this fight against someone that's not ranked as high as he is? Should he be the number one contender in the lightweight division? He great. He gave a great speech after the fight in the octagon with DC. How he mentioned, hey, he doesn't need a crown because you know his crown's gonna come from Jesus Christ. No matter how you feel about religion, that was a great speech. If that's your get down, I mean, hey, it was an inspiring speech of someone who's almost admitting, hey, I don't know if I'm gonna get a title shot next, but it doesn't matter because you know he stands strong in his faith and his beliefs. So Benil Dariush, hey man. I do think that we have a new champion at 155, Islam Makachev. 
But number one in that division, right after, the guy who should be chomping at the bit is Benil Darius. And then you go up a little bit on the card, the next fight after Darius and Gamrot. Peter Yan and Sean O'Malley. And this fight here, this is the fight where controversy ensues. You've got a split decision victory for Sean O'Malley as he beat the former Bantamweight champion of the world, Peter Yan. And I am one. This is the fight where, hey, maybe I'm not as good as judging these fights as I think that I am. Everyone likes to think, hey, they're an expert. I know these fights down the middle. I could call it. Hey, if the UFC wanted to call me up and say, hey, Damon, can you be a judge? I'd like to think that, yeah, I could, I could be a judge. I know what I'm seeing in there. I've got the minimalist experience of someone who's taken a few classes that's rolled around a little bit. But Pitor Jan, 135, former champion, taking on the Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley. And Sean O'Malley wins by a decision and I do think that blood was a big factor into this fight where you have Sugar Sean he hits him with that knee in the third round busts open Jan and I do think that that swayed the voters in that third round where it's so much it's so tricky I've talked about this before on the show if you're not inflicting enough damage on takedowns how much is that being factored in by the judges because Jan Takedown after takedown, controlled the ground time. But I don't think that the punishment that he was inflicting to Sean actually swayed the judges at all to say, hey, we're going to give this guy some points here. It's not that Sean O'Malley's takedown defense was so good and he was popping right back up to the feet, but the shots on the ground landed by Pitorian just didn't do enough. And I do think that, yeah, Sean O'Malley, he was winning the fight on the feet. I'm not saying that, hey, it's that big of a robbery. I'm not one of those people that's going to say, hey, what athletic commission is there really in Dubai? Hey, you got, I'm not saying, I'm saying I'm not one of those people. Let me say, hey, I'm not saying that this is true or anything. But people are saying, what athletic commission is there in Dubai where you have Dana White before the fight saying, hey, that the winner of this fight is going to be the number one contender for the winner of Aljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw. And just so happens in a decision victory where a lot of people were upset about it and did not think that O'Malley won the more popular fighter that the UFC has all of their backing around. He's the next guy. He's the guy who's getting the rocket strapped to his back in the UFC. And that guy comes out with a decision victory over a guy that a lot of people thought won the fight. Now, I said that I'm not that big into conspiracy theories, but if there was ever one that I'd hey, had have to look at it and say, Hmm, scratch the ch the hairs on my chin just a little bit. This would be the one because Sean O'Malley, the hype, I just don't get it. I mean, yes, he has some of the best striking in the Bantamweight division. But hey, when you're 5'11 and most of your opponents are 5'6 and above, yeah, you should have the advantage on the feet. But we did see some flaws in Sean O'Malley's game. And even after the fight, he mentioned, he said, hey, do you think that he won? And he's almost takes a pause. He doesn't know. He's got to go back and watch the fight. But I did see him tweet yesterday that, hey, he watched the fight back and he believes that he won the fight. So I like that he showed a little bit of humility in the cage after the fight, at least showing that humility after the fight to say, hey, man, it was a close one. I don't really know if I won or not. But after a few days, he's had a chance to rewatch the fight now. And he's back to being braggadocious and letting everyone know that without a doubt, he won that fight against Pitorian 
And who's he going to fight next? Because moving on to that co-main event at UFC 280, Aljamain Sterling, TJ Dillashaw. And yes, Aljo will be joining us. Hey, basically, we're going to take a commercial break and we're going to be joined by Aljo when everything, if everything works out. But Aljamain Sterling goes in against one of the best bantamweights of all time, TJ Dillashaw. TJ Dillashaw still holds the records for most wins in championship fights in the bantamweight division. So this was going to be a highly competitive fight, but that's until Aljamain Sterling goes for a takedown and you see TJ Dillashaw's shoulder pop right out of place. And immediately, you know that when a guy's shoulder just pops right out of socket, this can't be good. But TJ Dillashaw, he's pleading with the official. He's saying, hey, don't stop the fight. So that first round, hey, I know that it can only be 10. I know that it wasn't that much damage. So it had to have been like a 10A round. We didn't get to go to the to the judges' scores because this was a TKO stoppage in the second round. But, man, that was more like a 10-7, just the complete dominance that Aljo had against TJ Dillashaw. And in the second round, TJ Dillashaw, he pops his shoulder back into place in between rounds. Credit to him, gutsy fighter, a tough display, but it was just more of the same. Aljo takes him down, gets his back, and eventually the referee stops the fight. TJ Dillashaw, he said after the fight that he'd been having trouble with his shoulder all camp. And I know people were want to give him the, hey, gutsy performance. That guy, he went out there and he fought and knowing that his shoulder was going to come out of place because he mentioned that it had done it several times throughout that camp, and he knew it was going to happen in this, in this fight here. At that point, bow out. Bow out of the fight because you do a disservice to the fans, and uh, to be honest, you're disrespecting Aljamain Sterling as the champion to just think that, hey, I'll land one lucky punch. I Hey, he's a right-handed fighter, so maybe if he just lands what one good right hand, you know, because then you affect Aljo where people saying, hey, he's a paper champ. Who is he really beating? You affect. I know you got to beat whoever's in front of you, but it's just not fair to Aljamain Sterling to me to have to fight a guy with one arm in a fight. Now, I'm not saying he was supposed to show any mercy to him, maybe take it easy on him. Obviously, he didn't. But it's just got to be a tough predicament where you're fighting a guy with one arm and you know what people are going to be saying after the fight. Hey, you beat a guy with one arm when all you can do as the opposing fighter is just fight whoever's whoever's in front of you. And TJ Dillashaw going into that fight, I know that, hey, these guys are almost superhuman at times. But when your shoulder is just popping out of the socket regularly leading up to a fight and you know that you can't train and you know that you can't be 100% for the fight, hey, man, just, just go out on your sword and just not take the fight. But, hey, he went out there. Tried his best, but, you know, I'm not taking that away from Dillashaw. He did go out there and at least compete against Aljamain Sterling. In the main event of the evening of UFC 280, we have a new UFC lightweight champion as Islam Makhachev beat not the champion. I know a lot of people like to say that he was the champ, but this was for a vacant title in the lightweight division. Defeated Dubronx Charles Oliveira. And, man, I didn't see this one coming. This is one, but I did not have this. Charles Oliveira, I thought, hey, man, he's going to want to get that title back. He's got that dominance on the ground. The jiu-jitsu is out of this world. But wrestling won over jiu-jitsu in this fight. As Islam had him planned, he knew where he was going to do with this fight. Took him down, got the triangle choke, second round tap out. And after the fight, you see Islam. Who's, who's the team calling out? The team's calling out Alexander Volkanovsky. 
you know, you got Khabib in the in the ring with him, and Khabib says, hey, that's the fight that we want. And then you got Islam. He says, hey, where's that short guy? I can't see him. DC Daniel Cormier calls in Volkanovski to the octagon after the fight. And I'll, I'll say this about DC. Love him. You know, one of the greats in the UFC. Just a great guy all around. But he was acting like he was Islam's bodyguard when Volkanovski got in the ring. Like, hey, man, can't let you touch the champ. But we know that they have those camp connections with AKA him and Habib and Islam. But DC, man, just tone it down just a bit. You know, you didn't you weren't the man security guard. But that might be the fight that we see. UFC 284, I believe, is going to be in Perth, Australia. And man, what better way to headline that as a pound for pound fight to see who's number one. Volkanovski is going to move up from 145 to 155 to fight Islam. That's a bad matchup, but hey, I like Volk. Everyone knows that, hey, I like Volk. You know, short kings over here. And that's going to about do it for my recap of UFC 280. But when we come back, the UFC bantamweight champion, Aljermaine Sterling, will be joining me here on The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to The Fight Game with Iman Cotton. And I'm pleased to introduce my next guest here on The Fight Game, the UFC bantamweight champion of the world, Al Jermaine Sterling. Aljo, how you feeling, man? Are, are you back from Dubai? Are you back stateside yet? Yes, I'm back stateside right now. I'm actually in New York trying to um, get everything taken care of, go to see some family, my mom and everybody. Uh, I haven't seen them in a while because I've been in Vegas locked in with Marab and then getting ready for my training camp. So now uh, kind of doing a little victory victory tour here in uh, Long Island before I get back to Vegas. All right, man, and you're taking that victory tour. Obviously, you got the win at UFC 280 over TJ Dillashaw. Take me through your head through that fight because I know that everyone wants to talk about the shoulder, but, hey, you didn't know that going into the fight. So what were just your expectations? I did have you winning the fight. I picked you to win, so the outcome was what I expected to happen either way. Yeah, that's the thing that's so unfortunate because TJ legitimately thought he could beat me with his arm like that. And remember, he had two shoulder surgeries beforehand. And those two shoulder surgeries means that he was having issues with his labrum or his rotator cuff or even both. And I had shoulder surgery before, and I tore my labrum, so I know exactly what that feels like. And I went through seven professional fights before the UFC, so the competition maybe wasn't as stiff, but I also wasn't as good as I am now. I was just primarily a grappler. So for a grappler to have to deal with that, that means I have to grapple and utilize my arm and put it in position where the shoulder would sublux, which means dislocate. And I got through those fights. I won them. So he's had a similar situation, meaning he tore his labrum before. He had fights, and he won them. So he put me in the same category as those guys and disrespected my skill set and my grappling and thought that he was going to win the fight with, I guess, I don't want to say with one arm because he still had two working arms. It's just that he grappled and he got to a position where he either posted like he did or if he takes a shot and someone sprawls heavily on him and his arm gets too far away from his body, it's going to sublux. And that's what happened. So if he really thought, which he did, that he could beat me like that, that's on him. That's not on me. So for people to try to discredit me, he beat other guys like that, so that's an oppressive feat. And then when he loses, he uses it as a crutch. So it's a double-edged sword that he's, um, that I guess is for me, because he beats me, I look, I look like, um, I just look, I, just, I would just look bad. And then he wins, now I still look bad, because People will think that he's compromised, and I don't know. It's such a weird thing for him to do, and after all that talking about built-in excuses mm-hmm. <laughs> leading up to the fight, as soon as he loses, what does the guy do? Oh, my shoulder. Uh, 
I stubbed my big toe on the on the bed. My uh, I could have done better, but my big toe hurts. That's like, come on, man, don't don't do that. <laughs> Again, we're talking to Aljamain Sterling, the UFC bantamweight champion, and yeah, I wanted to get, talk about that a little bit deeper because you are one of those fighters. Hey, the first Jan fight, the illegal knee. People just want to question your legacy when you have the most wins in the division, and people still don't want to give you your credit. So when it comes to your legacy, do you do you care about what the trolls say, or is it just hey, built in? You know what you've accomplished in the UFC. I know what I accomplished in the UFC, and I think people just don't want to give, they just don't want to acknowledge that I am actually that good. I really think that's what it is. It's like they saw the first Jan fight, and no matter what, that image of me somehow is burnt into their head, like leaving your TV screen on pause on a movie and then turning it off, and you have that image forever burned there. Uh, that's what they see. So they just can't acknowledge and get around that to go, okay, this guy's actually that good, and we just didn't realize he was that good. So I think that's more so what it is. Man, I was so locked in for this fight. This training camp has been super tough. Uh, doing these crazy rounds with these guys, switching fresh partners one round, then the next guy, and then going back to the first guy again. And those guys are Marab and a Dennis Bazookia cameras, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I've been through the trenches in preparation for this fight camp, and people are discrediting that if I take you down, man. It's just a bad night for you. Yeah, you're one of the best fighters in the UFC when it comes to taking the back, and that's no easy feat to do in the UFC. But one thing that I did want to yeah, ask you about. I mean, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, they're going to realize one way or the other. So they, they can keep doubting what, what's actually happening in there and look at the other guys and see their body of work and see who those guys are beating and then see if I'm doing that to them, that there must be something to this. And if they're not bright enough to understand that, then I have no idea what to tell them. Yeah, back when I talked to you in May, back at the Finley Toyota dealership, I was asking you about your walking around weight. And you said you were walking around about 168, and I know that you had to prepare for this fight camp. So what was that weight cut like getting ready for TJ? You mentioned that this was one of the best camps you ever had. <clears throat> um, I mean, that's always going to be tough. Like, even right now, I stepped on the scale this morning. I was 68 and a half already. And I was very disappointed because I told myself, you're not going to blow up. And I did good for a day. <laughs> I did good for all of a day. And, but it's like my body is going through a shock process. And then once I reintroduce food, the sodium and everything, I get kind of bloated. I don't get kind of bloated. I get bloated. And everything just kind of sits. And it's, uh, it's hard for me to lose the weight um, right, right after the fight. So it's always a painful process because even after, like, a short night in the office like that, mm -hmm. like, I, I feel more pain from putting the weight back on from eating. And it's a hard thing to control which might sound weird to people, but it's uh, cutting weight like that and then trying to maintain your body weight at such a low level when I'm already a super lean guy, it's, uh, it's not fun. It's painful, and it, it, it doesn't get easier. It, it really doesn't. Yeah, I know you guys are almost superhuman when it comes to cutting the weight like that. And another fight that i got to ask you about, I know everyone's already asked you about it, that was on the UFC 280 card, Sean O'Malley, Peter Yan. What did you think about the fight? And do you think that Sugar Sean should be next to face you for that championship? I mean, based on what Dana said, he should be. But honestly, I don't know. I, I think we need to take a poll and see what's the fight that the fans want to see and try to do it that way to kind of see what's the, what's the biggest fight, I guess. Um, I think everyone's kind of on the same playing field right now. Like, there's no clear-cut guy that's like, this should 100% be the guy. Um, but if we're talking just, like, eyeballs, I think Sean being in a title fight is something that people want to see because they just think 
Sean is a god for some reason. I, I, I have no idea. I don't get why, it either, man. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. I think that might be the one, but we'll see. I mean, I'm not opposed to anybody. I just want to have my downtime to relax my body after going through that crazy weight cut again and get ready to do it again. All right, and you mentioned that crazy weight cut. Something that I want to ask you about, you got your teammate, Marab, who I think should be the number one contender at 135. Like, he is the best guy in 135 outside of yourself. But I know that you guys, you guys are like brothers. You're not going to fight. So any further thought? I know it's so soon after that fight, but any further thought maybe moving up to 145? Yeah, but uh, honestly, I haven't even – I still want to watch UFC 280 as a fan and then kind of go from there. Just, like, take it all in and – decompress before thinking about fighting again. It's such a stressful thing. It really takes a toll on you mentally um, because the amount of focus that you have to have and dedication, you sacrifice so much. Win or losing, it's, it's a tough grind. So to have an opportunity to just decompress and take your mind off of fighting and just being a fan, it's, it's, um, it's a little refreshing, I guess, and it can help with that process of just chilling out. And then I could start to look at the landscape and see what's the best option from there, you know, and, and go from there, I guess. Yeah, we're talking to UFC Bantamweight champion Aljermaine Sterling, the Funk Master, and you can follow him at, at Funkmaster MMA on all social media platforms. Something I want to ask you about, you're talking about decompressing after the fight, you know, just getting back to life. What's the celebration like? What's the victory tour like? I know you mentioned you're back in Long Island. Are you going to do any partying when you come <laughs> back to Vegas? What's the celebration like after a big win like this? Uh, uh, the celebrations are, um, I mean, I, I don't party that much like I used to, mm-hmm. but, um, now these days I, I get, I get, I guess compensated to come out and, and party a bit, which is nice to be able to make money outside of fighting without needing to fight. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely celebrate and hang out in New York and try to go to some of the clubs or whatnot and, uh, not go too crazy cause I still got to take care of my body. You're not completely go off the rails. You know, I'm more so like going on vacation and, and decompressing on a beach and just relaxing and just not thinking about anything other than just the breeze through, like, just, you know, I, no, I, that's that more makes, that makes more of a tropical thing and got no shirt on, just walking down, got my rum punch and just, just enjoying life with my lady. And, and that's really it. Yeah, man, relaxing. I, I understand that all the time. Man. When you're just working and you just want to get back, sometimes doing nothing is the most fun thing of all. Yeah, it really is. Just kick your feet up and realizing that you don't have anything to worry about or anyone that's preparing to punch you in the face. <laughs> and what are some other interests? Like, let's get outside of fighting now that we just, you know, decompressing. What's some of the interests that you have outside of fighting? What are some of the things that you're working on? You mentioned making some income, getting income outside of fighting. What are some of the things that you got going on that you got in the works outside of the UFC? I'm working on building this rum brand. I, I really want to try to have it created and distilled in Jamaica. So I'm going to have to take a trip down there to try to uh, make some rounds and try to meet some of the, the, uh, the master distillers down there. Oh, and I definitely want to do some movies or TV shows, make some appearances here and there. Like, I don't need to do anything super, like, over the top, like, very, what would you call it? Uh, I don't need to be overly involved, but just to kind of get my feet in the door and do a little bit more. I've done a bunch of stuff already, so I, I would like to do more and see if it's something that I can legitimately see myself doing when I'm done fighting. Um, yeah, and I got a couple other ventures that I'm working on and possibly 
I'm partnering up with this supplement company. I'm just, I'm just trying to see where life takes me, and I'm just taking it day by day. All right, you mentioned the rum brand. I know you haven't even gotten it started yet, but do you have a name in mind? I have a name in mind, but you know I'm not going to disclose it until it's, <laughs> the paperwork is put in and make sure that we can actually use it. All right, Aljo, thank you. Someone tries to it. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Don't want to don't want to give away too many of the secrets right here on the fight game. But man, I appreciate your time today, man. Thank you for joining me. Enjoy that victory. Go find that beach and just kick your feet up. This has been a pleasure, man. Thank you. Thank you, brother. And there he goes, and that was UFC bantamweight champion Aljamain Sterling. The first UFC fighter to be a two-time guest here on the fight game. Love Aljo. Love everything that he does. Man, maybe should have got into him about Twitter because he is one of the best followers on Twitter at just attacking the trolls. You know you always say people like, hey, man, forget about it. Leave the trolls alone. No, Aljo goes at all the trolls. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about one of the most popular trolls in all of combat sports, love him or hate him. Jake Paul is going to be fighting this weekend against Anderson Silva. Yes, that Anderson Silva, Jake Paul, Anderson Silva. And we're going to be talking about it with Brian Campbell from CBS Sports when we come back here on The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to The Fight Game. And welcome back to The Fight Game here on 1230 The Game. And I am pleased to introduce my next guest, Brian Campbell from CBS Sports and Showtime Boxing. And Brian, they've got to talk about this. Jake Paul, Anderson Silva, this fight card out in Phoenix this weekend. It's going to be a big one. This might be the biggest fight of Jake Paul's career. Let's break it down, man. How you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great, and I think you, you nailed it. This is the biggest of Jake's six pro fights up to this point. This will be his sixth. But I think it's also clearly the most dangerous, and that has to be a big part of the intrigue because – as much as Jake Paul has been impressive going from YouTube influencer and Disney actor to, you know, somewhat real boxer, he's been fighting smaller guys, guys removed from their greatest days. Anderson Silva is 47 years old, but anybody that's been following him of late, he doesn't fight like a 47-year-old. This is the fight for Jake Paul. For as much as everyone's complaining about the matchmaking, fight a real boxer, hey, this might be the best combination of potential critical respect and danger and commercial with, with how many people love and appreciate Anderson Silva, you got to be excited about what this might look like come Saturday. Yeah, Anderson Silva, and he also is the first fighter that Jake's going to be fighting that has a positive, a winning record in boxing. For those who are unfamiliar with Anderson Silva's skills, because they may just say, hey, he's fighting another washed-up UFC fighter, but can you speak to Anderson Silva's skills when it comes to in the boxing ring? Yeah, look, what, what's the hardest thing whenever we see these transitions from MMA to boxing or, you know, NFL and NBA to boxing of late? It's, it's the footwork. This is something that, that Anderson Silva has adjusted to instantly. Even Conor McGregor, who fought well in spurts in that attempt against Floyd Mayweather, wasn't able to really sit down on his punches and find power because the stance between MMA and boxing and the footwork is so different. Anderson Silva's been training... So hard in boxing, go, you know, he took his first pro fight in the 90s. So this is a guy who it's a somewhat natural change for him. But when we saw him just last year in Mexico against former world champion Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., who no one is trying to say is the best form of himself right now, but to see a 40-something-year-old Silva go in against a real ex-boxing champion and pull the upset, get the split decision win in Mexico, no less, it's a reminder that, this is a special athlete, an alien of some sorts that we're talking about, like his own boxing idol, Roy Jones Jr. When you are that quick in your prime and you have that sublime ability 
to make the impossible happen by landing the kind of strikes people just don't see coming, that doesn't always fade right away. So can you get caught up in the age on Anderson Silva? Sure. But he's the same size as Jake Paul. In fact, he's had great success in his UFC run fighting even bigger opponents at 205 pounds. He's still got hand speed and quickness. And if you saw him in these boxing you know, one-offs he's had here and there, it's not just outboxing Chavez and pulling the upset. He knocked out Tito Ortiz cold with one punch. And what that shows you is Jake Paul's not a world champion. He's, he's a neophyte. He's a celebrity-turned-fighter. But in this sphere, Anderson Silva might be the toughest guy at the end of the day to box because he's long, he's tall, he's still quick, and he can find a home for those punches that you don't see coming. And Jake simply has not seen that type of danger yet to this point. It wasn't as if Anderson Silva's career ended on the UFC side because he was getting handled and knocked out. Just two years ago, he fought Israel Adesanya, mm-hmm. the current middleweight champion, and fought him well and was dangerous until the final bell. This is a guy who, in pockets in the right moment, can still deliver the boom. So it's certainly going to be up to Jake Paul to use any potential youth advantages he has in setting a, a high pace early on. But even that's a dangerous game because what does Silva do well? That's a trap, builds that spider web, waits for you to overcommit, and lands that one leaping you know, big shot that can change fortunes. It's a very dangerous fight for Jake. Again, we're talking to Brian Campbell from CBS Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at B Campbell. Now, let's talk about Jake Paul. What can he do to win this fight? I know a lot of people underestimate him. They don't give him enough credit for how much, much he's improved in the boxing ring. So what are going to be some of the keys to victory for Jake Paul? Yeah, look, he's 25 years old against a 47-year-old man, and they're relatively the same size physically. So the, the advantages that Jake will need to lean on are in terms of the gas tank, in terms of just fighting a physical, aggressive style where you don't show Anderson Silva too much respect. You can try to smother and stunt his offense, but like I just said earlier, you do have to be wary of the traps mentally that Anderson sets. tries to get you to come after him, tries to you know, look like he's got his hands down, but really he's setting up a trap. Jake's got to be smart, but he has to be physical. He has to be aggressive. And he's got to hope that he is making the same type of incremental leaps that he has through his first five fights, meaning every time he goes back into the lab and training camp, he's got some very bright minds of former pro fighters, B.J. Flores, uh, Jaylion Love, and now bringing in Chad Dawson, the former two-division champion, to mimic Anderson Silva. He's got to hope that in the time off since December when we last saw him, that some of these foundational elements of his game, defensive responsibility, not backing up with his hands down and his chin up, all of the things that can get you into a trap. Jake's got to be as smart, aware, and keen as he has ever been. He needs to show the seasoned mentality of a veteran, even though he's just six fights into his career. If you can set a high pace without leaving yourself in danger, this is the, the, it has to be the easiest access to find success against Silva, who even though he remained dangerous in the UFC through his 40s, it became harder and harder at this age to expect him to fight as hard as he can every second of every round. You've got to get him uh, laboring so that in the second half of the fight, potentially, Silva is there for, for, for the taking in terms of walking him down with big shots. It's a big if to ask, but Jake's going to have to be the one who sets that pace while always being aware that one mistake could bring the end of the fight. And you're a part of the Showtime boxing team, so I've got to ask, when it comes to being a draw in professional boxing, what are the numbers expected to be for Jake Paul, and what's the turnout going to be down there in Phoenix? Are people already, when they come out, you know, for the exhibitions and, you know, the the viewing public, are they coming out to support Jake Paul, or do people just want to see him lose that bad? It's a little of both, right? I mean, he knows how to, how to create a spectacle, how to get your eyes on it. There's a little bit 
of that he's borrowing from the old school salesmanship of like a Floyd Mayweather, for example, where, you know, it's not bad to play up on all the things that people might not like about you, right? People think Jake is a troll and brash. Well, he gives you enough of those moments to make you not like him. Or if you think, hey, this guy's a joke, he's not a real boxer, he leaves enough clues where if that's the the scent that you're following, you might follow that right into buying a pay-per-view in hopes that he loses. So uh, yesterday was the public workout here in Glendale, Arizona. A huge crowd came out. Are they all pro-Jake fans? Some of them. Hey, some were Nate Diaz fans that were just happy to see the uh, ex-UFC star there supporting one of his teammates. But it's all about the spectacle. Jake rode in on a horse yesterday. He knows how to make an event big, how to draw your eyes to it. I think we can expect a big crowd on Saturday. In terms of being a pay-per-view brand, you have to say up to this point it's been shocking at the success he's had. The one thing that Jake brags about that is hard to argue in terms of his unique arc is just how unique it is. Uh, One thing he likes to say is, name your favorite boxer. Now name for me, off the top of your head, the first five opponents of his pro career. What Jake is doing is unique. He's on pay-per-view every time out, no amateur career. He's literally learning on the job. Uh, There's enough in there if you want to discount him if you don't believe him. But again, that same spirit of your lack of belief a lot of times leads to pay-per-view buys and ticket sales. This guy's walking a tightrope, meaning he's, he's almost got to be perfect in there. And, and, you know, can one loss break his momentum and end this journey? That's an a interesting question to ponder. But either way, uh, the combat sports uh, attention is on him when he shows up and picking an opponent as beloved and decorated as Anderson Silva can only continue to bring in that MMA fan base into the boxing world where Jake has thrived at bringing people from all different walks of life and getting them to focus on boxing. And, you know, there's a lot of purists that don't like that, but it does bring a younger audience and a lot of attention on the sport. Again, we're talking to Brian Campbell from CBS Sports here on the fight game on 1230, the game. Something that I want to ask you about, I know you're not as heavy into pro wrestling as you used to be, but when it comes to Jake Paul, Logan Paul, he's going to be fighting Roman Reigns at Crown Jewel next week. When these Paul brothers, the amount of press that they've got, the amount of attention that they brought to the sports that they're doing, had you seen anything like this before, and do you think they can be able to continue this momentum to go? Or in Jake's Paul case, do you think that the interest will die down if he does get this first loss against Anderson Silva? Yeah, it's an interesting question because this feels like a bubble, right, for for traditional combat sports pay-per-view, meaning there's money to be made in kind of carnival matchmaking, and it may have started with Logan Paul boxing KSI and blowing it up on the internet, and may have taking a giant step forward when Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. a couple years back came out of retirement, and suddenly we go, hey, there, there's, there's money to be made here, NFL players, NBA players crossing over. You do need a leader in that revolution, and that certainly has been Jake Paul, and the, the big question is if he loses, does it end? Or if he loses spectacularly, if he gets knocked out in one shot, is that the end of the momentum that he's trying to build that's not just as a marketable pay-per-view fighter, but he's got his own promotional house now, MVP promotions that signing fighters, and, and does he need to win here on Saturday? Hey, I think there's a lot of reason to believe it's like a put-up-or-shut-up moment. Everyone says, hey, Jake Paul, fight a real boxer. Well, he tried. He tried to get Tommy Fury. He tried to get Hasim Rahman. We're not overly accomplished, but our names, the real boxers, they fell apart, so what did he do? He, he got that combination of the, the, the biggest critical fight available to him that also brings in that commercial boom. I think Jake Paul, you know, a loss might not kill it. Could he still fight? Nate Diaz, for example, coming off of a loss to Anderson. Well, it depends on some factors, right? How good is this fight? How hard could Jake fight potentially in defeat? Or what about if he wins, which is certainly on the table? The odds have shifted back and forth almost on a daily basis. 
Jake Paul wins, this shuts up a lot of people, and it opens up the door for much bigger chances and opportunities. So once again, whether you love or hate Jake Paul, and really he sets it up nicely for you to fall into either category and be comfortable there, you got to respect the big swings, the big chances that he's taking. If he wins this, the momentum is only going to continue for him to fight a Nate Diaz, maybe one day down the road, a Conor McGregor. Heck, he still wants Canelo Alvarez, which seems like a really bad idea for those who really know <laughs> boxing. But then again, I never imagined his brother Logan would be boxing Mayweather or that Jake would be here against the guy he called his idol in Anderson Silva. It's all wacky. It's all wild. Uh, the pressure is on Jake, though. You better believe that, to keep showing out, to keep people caring and interested. But if he goes out there and is in a war, which he's predicted it will be, it's going to be hard to look away from that. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. And there's bigger names to attract after this. So a lot of pressure on Jake. But the one thing he's shown us is he's committed to this game and he does not back down from the moment uh, that he typically talks himself into because of his you know, celebrity factor. He also backs it up when he gets in there. But this is the toughest challenge to date. And I think that really we've got to look past that age on Silva and just understand that. Another fight that I want to talk to you about, you mentioned the spectacle and other athletes from the NFL to NBA to UFC getting into the boxing ring. Uriah Hall versus Le'Veon Bell. I've seen a little bit of you talking to Le'Veon Bell yesterday, and it's just that, hey, he still wants to compete. He still wants to go out there and just be competitive and prove people wrong. What are you expecting to see from this fight? Because I am intrigued by Le'Veon Bell being in the boxing ring. Yeah, seriously. You know, when he came back and fought Adrian Peterson a couple months back, it was like, okay, another one of these NFL, NBA guys taking a swing at it. They knocked AP out with one punch and kind of looked good doing it. And a reminder, you know, Le'Veon Bell's only 30 years old, which can be old for an NFL running back. But there's, you know, a certain freak factor in how athletic and explosive NFL players are in general, especially a positional player like this, where, hey, man, does he have a chance on paper against somebody like Uriah Hall, 38 years old, UFC veteran, very good with his hands? No, this should be a fight. Le'Veon Bell finds his ceiling in boxing and loses. But at this level of, of sort of neophyte boxing where, okay, maybe one of the guys got real fight experience, they're both big, strong, and big-time athletes. We're talking about guys who are not as seasoned in the traditional fundamentals of defense and footwork and all of those things. Could Le'Veon Bell win this fight? He absolutely could. And this matchup is, is, is bizarre. It's got a circus element to it. But I think you've got to respect the, the brashness of Le'Veon Bell, who, you know, he was an NFL running back. He ran through lines of guys half his size and bounced off of them. He's coming here not afraid at the potential of, a, of his night ending the same way that he did to Adrian Peterson just a few months back. I don't understand that level of brashness, but I respect it. He's a competitor. And I think you've got to give him that respect as an athlete of uh, he is armed and he is dangerous, even if on paper it's telling us that Uriah Hall should win this fight. Yeah, but crazier things have happened inside of a boxing ring. Maybe he lands that lucky shot. You never know. BC, I only got a couple more questions for you, and I just want to take you back to UFC 280 and get your thoughts on the card, specifically Jan O'Malley. I just got to talk to someone about it. What did you think about that decision? You know, I thought Jan should have won that fight two rounds to one. I don't think it's a robbery. I don't think it's a conspiracy, although it's an easy conspiracy theory for anybody who's thinking, well, hey, didn't Dana White say the winner of this fight would get the next title shot? Isn't it convenient that the much more popular fighter of the two got the nod? Well, look, the scoring system is, is a bit of a mess right now in MMA in terms of the judge's actual criteria and the letter of the law. It does leave open a lot of interpretation, particularly in rounds 
that are relatively close and don't have a ton of damage in it. Is there a path as a judge to give O'Malley two rounds to one against Jan? Yes, there was, but you have to look at two close rounds and you've got to give him the benefit of the doubt in those in rounds in which he was taken down, including a round three where, yes, O'Malley bloodied Jan with a flying knee, and I didn't give him that round, but he finished the round on his back under heavy ground and pound. So close fight, does O'Malley winning ruin anything, become a giant conspiracy? No, it's just a close fight where two of the three guys who had the best view preferred one over the other. O'Malley still has a lot to prove. It looks like UFC might go in the direction instead of Aljamain Sterling in Australia against a returning Henry Cejudo. Could that open up a rematch against Marlon Vera, maybe even for an interim title? There's a couple things UFC can still do here, matchmaking-wise, to, to make everybody happy and fix all of it. But if Sean O'Malley got the next shot at the title shot, it would be hard to complain against that. We knew what the stakes were coming in. He went in there, and he won the fight. Whether I believe it or I agreed with it or not, he was in that fight. And I think if you're looking at O'Malley answering the tough questions, I think he's quieting down those who are still looking at that loss to Marlon Vera and saying, we have a brittle fighter here. We have a fighter that can be broken. He bent against Piotr but he never broke, and I think that was a big step forward for him. And who would you like to see next for Islam, Alexander Volkanovsky or Benil Darius? You know, I mean, certainly you can make an argument for Darius uh, deserving it. There's a few fighters right there, but, you know, Bilal Muhammad as well. Welterweight is another guy who just won't stop winning and coming on. But I think in this case, I'm too in love with the idea of, of a super fight that none of us really saw coming. And somebody like Volkanovsky who's already the pound-for-pound king, unbeaten in the UFC, seemingly on the verge of becoming an all-time great, yet wanting to test that greatness and find out, can I be a two-division champion? Can I take down a a really bad style matchup against a guy like Mahachev, who really looks to be the physical embodiment of Habib Nurmagomedov 2.0, even if he's a little bit different in his methods and his intention out there? He's still dominant. This offers Mahachev the chance in just his first title defense to potentially become the number one guy in the sport. That's how uh, you know jarring it was to see him dominate Charles Oliveira and finally get entry on this long win streak into the type of critical respect as one of the best fighters in the world. Well, hey, you be Volkanovski, you might be the best fighter in the world. So anytime a super fight like this sneaks up on you, you didn't necessarily come see it coming, you weren't planning it in your fantasy matchmaking brain for years in advance, it's a surprise. I like to see it when those things happen. And, you know, for what we can say about the UFC, they'll swing and they'll miss at times. But consistently across the board, you get the fights you deserve, and sometimes you get some special ones like this that you didn't know were possible. But buckle up. It should be fun and watching. All right, BC, thank you so much for joining me on the fight game. Before you go, CBS Sports, Showtime Boxing, Morning Combat, what you got coming up next? Uh, look, the, you know, the, the, the clock never stops. The season never ends. It's fights all the time. Uh, tune into Morning Combat every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern on YouTube. But you better believe Luke Thomas and I, whether it's this week in here outside of Phoenix with Jake Paul boxing or whether it's in New York City, Madison Square Garden for the upcoming big UFC card, if it's going down to combat sports, we're talking about it. So tune in, check us out. I appreciate the time, man. And that was Brian Campbell. And, again, you can follow him at Campbell on twitter and man i've been a big fan of bc's ever since the cheap heat podcast you know he's always good to throw out a rhymer there before the show gets started so um an honor and a pleasure to have brian on the show today and when we get back it's going to be a spooky season edition of a few good minutes this is the fight game on twelve thirty. the game welcome back to the fight game
All right, and welcome back to the fight game here on 1230 The Game. And like I said, it's going to be a spooky season edition of A Few Good Minutes here. And I've got noted horror fan Danny with me. Danny, you got some tattoos on your legs. Who exactly do you have tattooed on you? Yes, I do. Uh, my left lower leg is a sleeve with Ghostface from Scream. Uh, you got Jason Voorhees, Friday the 13th. Michael Myers from Halloween. And I have Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street. Have you seen Halloween Ends? Yes. What'd you think? I was disappointed. Disappointed? Hey, man, I thought like the Very whole the protege aspect of it. Hey, man, you know, evil lives on, you know, trying to teach him a little bit like a Kobe Jordan thing, you know? Dude, that when that little sort of transfer of power thing happened, I was like, what is going on? Yeah, man, I, I like it. I see what they were trying to do. You got to do something a little bit experimental. But then, I uh, see. I don't. I don't want to. Probably shouldn't ruin it since the movie hey, man, is only I mean, a couple weeks old. I mean, I guess maybe some people want to see it but on like Halloween way, or something. After that whole transfer of power happened, and then the way that the movie ended, I don't know. It was. I feel like they were just trying to. <laughs> they were trying to fill some script. Yeah, they were because I think that Danny McBride and um his partner that you know they made the movie. I think they were content on just making the one, but then I think that the studios were like, "Hey, man, this was a hit." The way that the way that this last one, the the first one was really good. Yeah, and I think they should have stopped there, but they said, "Hey, guys." Well, I mean, the way that they ended it with uh, uh, Michael just looking up as the house is burning down, you could have easily made the second movie the last one. But it almost seemed like they still wanted to do character building. Ka-ching, ka-ching. Yeah, make money because they know no matter how bad reviews, people are going to go see it. Yep, like me. I was there opening. I was there like on Thursday night. Yeah, and that's also one thing I'm not looking forward to with the new Scream that comes out next year. Why? Stop doing them. Yeah, I haven't been a fan of Scream since the second one. For me, it's just been, what are they doing? Scream is hands down and... There's a ton of people who will say differently, but hands down, Scream is my favorite horror series because this is the first one that I watched. The first Scream came out when I was, I think, five. And you were watching it at five years old? Yeah. Well, my mom was watching it, but like I snuck <laughs> downstairs after I was supposed to be in bed and I was watching a little bit of it and it scared the bejesus out of me. All right, Danny, the real reason I brought you in today, let's talk about which horror movie slasher villain Whatever realm that you want, who are you picking that you can beat in a fight? Uh, you know, I don't know if it quite qualifies, but uh, top one on my list, the little tire from Rubber. Dude, I've seen Rubber. <laughs> the tire, yeah, it, I think I can beat the tire from, the, oh man, just, oh dude. That tire was destructive. Destroying people, man, and it, that, I'm not going to lie, that was one of those movies where you're flipping through the channel. I was I was at a friend's house. We're flipping through the channels, and it says rubber, and it's like, oh, like a killer tire. Turn it on, and we watch the whole thing. Everyone loves a good, terrible, C-list horror movie. C? No, F, D, whatever. However. I've seen some bad ones in the day. I used to live on a sci-fi channel watching those terrible graphic horror movies. Have you seen have. that new one where it's like this killer clown, and they're like, oh, it's more gruesome than the second I stay one. away from clowns. Okay, so I'm you're not, not a fan of clowns. So it could take you out. Oh, yeah, it it will for sure get me, 100%. I like to think, because when I watch these movies, I'm not that big of a horror fan, but I'm like, I suspend my disbelief. I'm the person that I'm watching a horror movie. I'm not getting scared because I'm I'm smarter than everybody in the movie. Well, yeah. So I, mean, I think that I could take out a good percentage of these guys. Like Freddy Krueger, I'd figure it out. 
You know, oh, yeah. yeah. You gonna you gonna fight someone in your dreams? Yeah, exactly. You know, like I'm cool. smart. I've got good dream control as is. Oh, do you? Yeah, I, you know what I mean. Like no, I, I don't remember my dreams. I've got great dream control. I can't remember the last dream that I remember. Dude, I'm like the person where it's like, oh man, it was like a movie. It's surreal. Like Freddie would be trapped in my nightmare. It'd be, you know, I'd I'd have him, I'd be have him tied up like a pretzel, bro. Interesting. But I think the one that I would be able to take is. Probably Leprechaun. Leprechaun, yes, and Jared's a little tied up right now, but Jared wants us to tell tell everybody that he said Chucky. Yeah, that was a good second option. I don't I don't think any like actual slasher killers. Were Michael be oh, taken like, out. Scream, what, a bunch of teenagers? Taking them out. Who who's ever in the scream mask? Taking them out. I mean, definitely like we would obviously be smarter than the characters because they're created to be stupid. But Michael Myers, uh, hey man, I'm sorry to say. Taking him out. Maybe not the original in 78, but the new one from, like, a 60-year-old man that escaped from the loony bin? Bro. I'm taking him got, out. But he's got superhuman strength. It don't matter how old he is. Yeah, yeah, bro, but you saw in this last movie, though, right? Right, but you saw what happened. Yeah, but I'm saying, I wouldn't be that. You know what? You ever watch Game of Thrones? Of course. So you saw when the Viper in the Mountain... I'm not going to be gloating. I'm taking you out. If I got you down, it's a wrap. It's over. Right. When they only shoot a character like one or two times and it's just oh, like, and no. then the character gets back up. No, I'm taking you out now. No, I, I tell my girlfriend every time in horror movies when they shoot the they shoot the killer like two, maybe three times. No, you walk over them and you just empty the gun. Exactly. What are you doing? You right don't in the face. Leatherface taking you out. Chainsaw, yeah. not scared of you. Boom. Like, dude... You, I'm built different, Danny. Bro. What, what do you want to say? <laughs> I'm Man, telling you. You're messing with fire there now. Leprechaun? Like, like, I'm taking out the leprechaun. You guys are taking easy challenge. I want a challenge. Step to me. I mean, anything over a leprechaun is probably a challenge, right? Michael Myers? Like, bro, you, shoot. I want the fair one. If I knock the knife out your hand, you remember the one Jason movie, where, one, the one Friday the 13th, where it's the black guy, he just tried to score up with Jason? That would be me. It was one of the ones in the 80s. Oh, yeah. But that would just be me. I'd be like, yo, man, I want the fair one. Put down the weapons. Give you me gonna, the one-on-one. She's going to be like Busta Rhymes when he tried to take on Michael Myers. And didn't he live? Yeah. Didn't he live? Yeah. I did. I think, uh, yeah. Yeah, he lived. Tyra Banks died. Yo, so I'm saying. I believe. I can't remember. It's been a long time since. So, I think, come to conclude. I don't like just 90% of all slasher people like in movies where it's like oh my god he's after us 90% of them maybe if you like if they got mystic powers or something like, if you're gonna drive me you're gonna drag me down to the depths of hell okay you got me but if it's just you with a knife I like my odds I mean Jason carries around a big old knife you got that big old machete you just gonna play fist to cuss yo I got, I, got, I got the one too oh if I got weapons it's over what happens when he uses that machete and cuts your hands off why wouldn't I shoot him first? Yo, yo, you know, we're running out of time, but, you know, <laughs> I like my chances. That's all I'm saying. This has been the fight game on 1230 The Game. Stay safe and protect yourself at all times, everybody.